I'm not super bullish on them myself. I think there's big question marks surrounding the team personnel. We still don't know how Katie's gonna look in his return from injury. It could blow up in a spectacular way. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I am your host, Sam. Please follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Slab Stocks, and then click that little subscribe button here on YouTube as well. Another way that you could help us out would be by picking up the Slab Stocks limited edition collector's t-shirt. We are dropping it on our website, slabstocks.com, tomorrow, Wednesday, October 7th at 1 p.m., and it will be available for purchase for only 48 hours. It has a gold embroidered Slab Stocks logo, and each shirt will be serial numbered on the hem tag at the bottom, numbered out of however many t-shirts that we sell. Uh, we'll also throw in a Slab Stocks gold refractor sticker in the package for you. Uh, you can throw it on your water bottle, your garage fridge, wherever you put your stickers. All of that only for $20 plus shipping and tax. You get 20 of these for the cost of one Supreme t-shirt. I mean, which would you rather have? So please, if you are able to support us by buying a t-shirt, I would greatly appreciate it as would the rest of the team. Today, we are climbing aboard the coaching carousel. A good amount of coach movement so far this offseason, especially among big name coaches, which is kind of a rarity. Uh, still some big pieces to fall over the coming weeks, and maybe I can address those uh, coaching changes in a future video. Today, we're going to be talking the first four big coaching dominoes, which are Doc Rivers going to the 76ers, Billy Donovan to the Bulls, Steve Nash to the Nets, and Tom Thibodeau to the New York Knickerbockers. All right, let's get started. So last week, right as I was recording my interview with Summertime Cards, the Doc Rivers news dropped. Of course, Doc really earned his stripes with the Boston Celtics. He won his first and only NBA championship in 2008 with the big three of KG, Paul Pierce, my guy Ray Allen, and then the young dynamic pass-first point guard Rajon Rondo. Then he was the main part of a relatively unprecedented type of transaction. He was traded as a coach to the Los Angeles Clippers with the Celtics receiving a first-round pick in return. That pick turned out to be R.J. Hunter. He was at the helm in Los Angeles for the past seven years, and he sported a 631 winning percentage over that time. He oversaw the Lob City Clippers with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. As those players were traded away, he oversaw the young, exciting, and surprising 2018-19 club with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Patrick Beverly, Danilo Gallinari, and more. And then obviously this last season, he was in charge of the Kawhi Paul George iteration of this Los Angeles Clippers team. This year's team was obviously a disappointment, going from finals favorites to getting bounced in the second round of the playoffs. And that is why Steve Ballmer ended up just letting him go, paving the way for Doc to wind up in Philadelphia. Now, why did Philly go for Doc Rivers? Now, the credentials are obvious. He's one of the true superstar coaches in this league whose persona has pretty much surpassed that of a regular coach to really just be an all-time NBA legend. Uh, now that that is his standing, although I know a lot of people would argue that he doesn't deserve that type of recognition. Uh, so let's get into what he actually brings to the table for the 76ers. I think his biggest strength as a coach is his voice. And I don't mean his actual voice, which is really like an all-time gravelly voice, but I mean his voice in the sense of how he commands a locker room. You know, everywhere he's been, he has earned the respect and love of his players. He's seen as one of the true player coaches in this league, and for that reason, he's been pretty much universally loved by players all around the league. 
I know he's also really admired in the NBA media. He always gives very thoughtful interviews, he gives very good sound bites, he's funny. His presence in Philadelphia really should elevate their position on a national stage as big as it was to begin with. Tied into all of that, I think it might be overlooked sometimes how pretty much single-handedly he turned the entire Clippers organization around. He took them to the playoffs as many times in seven years as the entire organization had been to in its previous 35 seasons. A historically losing franchise, which wasn't even an afterthought in Los Angeles, it was just the other team that rented the Staples Center. And then in his first six years with the team, Doc Rivers turned it into a perennial contender and also a coveted destination for one of the game's biggest stars. Pretty impressive resume. On the basis of all of that, I think he's a fine hire for the Sixers. Now, that's a team that has struggled without a strong voice to command the locker room or the, or the direction of the franchise. We could describe that organization as generally rudderless over the past several years. You know, lots of turnover, lots of turmoil. That has led to disappointing results over the last several seasons. For a team with as much talent as the Sixers have, they really should be much better. And I think on a macro level, Doc is going to bring that he will be able to bring an overall vision and presence into that arena that Brett Brown just did not have. He's going to have the respect of his players. Uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to have a successful regular season under him, and they're going to be in the spotlight every single night. That doesn't mean that I think they'll necessarily be a super successful playoff team under Doc Rivers. You know, he is infamously the only coach in NBA history to blow three separate 3-1 leads, and that's not just happenstance. He does tend to be pretty rigid in his playoff coaching strategy and his rotation choices. He doesn't lean on analytics very much at all, and we've seen some pretty poor lineup choices that have really burnt him over the past several seasons. And most obviously, we saw that recently with Montrezl Harrell over the past two postseasons. You know, things were generally not super great with him on both ends of the floor during his minutes in the postseason, but Doc just kept right on playing him, and Vika Zubak, he probably should have been playing much more. You know, that's a bit of armchair quarterback of me but it has been a recurring theme with Doc Rivers kind of throughout his career. Additionally, even though he is very much a player's coach and very well-liked, he's also been the head of some tumultuous locker rooms in Los Angeles that struggled to ever really mesh. For obvious reasons, now that could then pose some problems in Philadelphia. You know, so big picture, I think the Sixers, as always, are going to be very national relevant, probably more so with Doc in the room, but I wouldn't expect this to be the hire that gets them to the championship level. And there's reason for concern that if they don't mesh in-house, the tensions could flare up into a highly publicized teardown. But, you know, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, on the micro level, I think the guy who's going to benefit the most from this is going to be Ben Simmons. Doc tends to lean pretty heavily on the pick and roll, and Ben Simmons really should excel in his offense, either as the ball handler or as the role man. If you look at all of Doc's teams, the one thing that stands out is the lead ball handler. In Boston, he had turned Rajon Rondo into Rajon Rondo. In LA, he had CP3 as the focal point. I think that's going to continue with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. Doc is absolutely going to love having him as a tool to use on offense, both running the offense in the pick and roll and also serving in that Blake Griffin dive to the hoop role that Doc loved to use in Lob City. I do expect this to be the best statistical season of Simmons' career so far. For that reason, I think the big winner of this hire is Ben Simmons. I've said it before, he has the qualities that not a lot of players have and could be one of the premier build-around stars in this league. Doc's offenses also generally make heavy use of off-ball three-point specialists, and creating open looks for those types of shooters is also one of Simmons' strengths. So on paper, 
things are looking really good for Ben Simmons this next season. His base prism PSA 10 rookie cards are down 44% since August 1st. They're going for around $350 right now. I think a lot of that loss will be built up in a hurry next season. Next up, we're taking the train two hours northeast into Brooklyn, where the Nets hired two-time MVP and Basketball Hall of Famer Steve Nash to lead the team. It was a hire that made a ton of sense on a number of different levels. He's bound to be well-respected as a former highly accomplished player that understands the team's stars on that level. Uh, when you have KD and Kyrie in the locker room, you really need a guy just like that who they'll buy into and they're going to respect from day one. I don't know anything about his coaching philosophy. He is a rookie head coach who we're going to have to just learn a lot about as we go throughout his first season. He did give an interview on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast explaining that you know he understands there's a lot of stuff that he needs to learn, a lot of stuff he just doesn't know yet, and for that reason he's going to promote a collaborative environment. I think that's probably wise. The big stir has been on the player side. You might have seen the headlines or you know, maybe heard the sound bites recently from Kyrie's interview on the Etc. podcast with Kevin Durant. Uh, there was you know, probably more of a stir caused by the media coverage than the podcast actually warranted, uh, but that's just kind of how things go in this league. I don't think Kyrie's remarks really taught us anything about him. You know, we all know who he is as a player. We know the way he is in the locker room, the types of stirs that he can create when he starts talking. You know, that's all old news, but it is interesting in the context of this new Steve Nash hire. You know, for one thing, during the interview, Kyrie gave a shout out to Kenny Atkinson. He addressed the rumors that he and KD had gotten Kenny fired, uh, which he denied. You know, although, you know, I'm kind of certain that those two had to give their approval before his firing because that's what teams do with their star players. So maybe it's just semantics at this point. Uh, but then he went on to say that he liked Steve Nash, the Steve Nash hiring, by basically burying Kenny Atkinson. He said about Nash, we don't need someone to come in here and put their coaching philosophy on everything that we're doing and then change up the wheel and, yo, you guys need to start doing this. And we start running on the first day of practice and it's just like, no. You know, those were all loosely veiled digs at Atkinson, who did make his Brooklyn players run sprints when he thought that they were playing sloppily or effortlessly. Uh, Kyrie then went on to say that he doesn't see the Nets as really having a head coach at all. He said, you know, some nights KD is going to be the head coach. Some nights Kyrie, he, he was going to be the head coach. Uh, KD added on, some nights Jacques Vaughn's going to be the head coach. And while that does echo what Steve Nash himself was saying, kind of makes for a pretty awkward start to his tenure in Brooklyn. If from the beginning the players don't see him as an on-court authority, there's bound to be some awkward times over the course of this season, and I imagine there's going to be a lot of headline-creating sound bites coming out of that locker room. And we've seen in the past, buddy ball just doesn't really work most of the time. And if you look around the Eastern Conference landscape, a lot of the best teams are run by master tacticians, whether it be Spolstra in Miami, Nick Nurse in Toronto, Brad Stevens in Boston, or regular season Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. If they really are going to be led by Kyrie and KD and there's no overall guiding voice or philosophy, I just don't know how well that's going to go for them. The collaborative effort sounds good on paper. I don't think it works out as well on the court. Of course, you know, I really have no clue since we've never even seen Nash coach a game yet. We've never seen these two guys play together, so it's really all up in the air at this point. Both Katie's and Kyrie's first-year Brooklyn Nets cards have been pretty popular buys for a while in anticipation of them playing really well together. 
Uh, they both received PRISM updates in this year's Chronicles Basketball. Kyrie Irving's 2019-20 PRISM Silvers have been selling ungraded for around $50 recently, which is double where it was a few weeks ago. Durant's PRISM update Silvers are selling well north of that. They were ending on auctions recently around $200, so that's over the past couple of days. And while these you know, kind of go all over the place, that is up around 33% in general over the past few weeks. Of course, there are other options, too, if you want to snag that first time in a Brooklyn uniform card. Kyrie's Optic Hollows from this year's set are selling right around $15 raw at the moment. Durant's are selling in the $40 range. Or you can look at the Super Short Print Select Courtside. Kyrie's Courtside Silver most recently went for $20. KD's for $30. You know, so just in general, if this is a path you want to go, uh, go down. I, I think there are a few different budget directions that you could go to invest in this Brooklyn Nets team. I'm not super bullish on them myself. I think there's big question marks surrounding the team personnel. We still don't know how Katie's going to look in his return from injury. It could blow up in a spectacular way. Or it could really work. You know, who's to say at this point? Uh, but this team is definitely going to be near the top of the interest level in the league in general, which really could just pay big dividends for these two guys' cars over the course of the regular season heading into the playoffs. Heading north to Midtown Manhattan, let's look next at the New York Knicks hiring of Tom Thibodeau. Uh, formerly very, very highly regarded coach of the Chicago Bulls. He then spent two and a half years in Minnesota with generally poor results before being fired midway through his third season. He did not coach this past season, but now he will be looking to bring this New York Knicks team back into relevancy. Is he up to that difficult task? Well, he is known primarily as a defensive coach. Uh, that hails from his days in Chicago, where they definitely were a very tough-nosed defensive team with Joe Kim Noah and Jimmy Butler leading the charge on that front. Uh, but in his time in Minnesota, that just was not the case. His Timberwolf teams had a defense rated in the bottom 20% of the league each of his three seasons there. Some of that might be attributed to the player personnel that he had on hand, but we can't just give him credit for good defenses when he had good defensive players and then not fault him when he had bad defensive players. Now, I think it's more reasonable to say that his reputation as a defensive genius just might not be all that well-founded. Surprisingly, the Wolves were in the top half of the league offensively when he was there. Uh, they had the fourth best offense in the 2017-18 season when Jimmy Butler led the team to the playoffs for a, a starved Minnesota fan base. While the offense was very good, it was not by following the current logic for good offenses. Now, that year, the team was dead last in three-point attempts, only attempted 22.5 threes per game. They were also dead last in 2016 and fifth to last in the season that he was fired. If we take these numbers and we, and we turn to the current day, I wouldn't expect the Knicks to suddenly just become a defensive juggernaut. I also don't expect them to be firing away from three. We know that Thibodeau loves Julius Randle. I would expect him to be leading the offense from the mid-range. Honestly, probably not a super good formula for winning in, for a team in 2020. And this is just one of Thibodeau's characteristics. He loves veteran players. He famously overextends his players' minutes, and I fully expect Julius Randle to be near the league lead in minutes per game over this coming season. For the two young guys that we're actually interested in, I really do expect R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson to be playing a lot of minutes as well. You know, Thibs has shown an aversion to playing rookies too many minutes in the past. But thankfully, 
both of those guys are past that point, and I think they're going to be looking at nearly 40 minutes a night as well. Well, some astronomical number anyways. You know, they both fit into Thibodeau's preferred schemes. RJ is sort of a three-point averse, and, you know, he likes to live in the lane, right where Thibodeau is going to want him. But you know what? He also shot 37.5% from deep left corner, and Thibodeau has spent his short time in New York talking about the importance of getting those corner threes. I fully expect RJ to be in on that action. Mitchell Robinson fits another profile that Thibs loves, defensively hard-nosed and a good rebounder. Thibodeau is on the record as believing those are two of the most essential things for a successful team. So Mitch Rob, he's sure to see heavy minutes as well. In general, you know, just simply seeing heavy minute totals should pay good dividends for Barrett and Robinson. At the very least, we really finally get a good look at who these guys are and what they can become. You know, the jury's still out on both, of course, although you know, many people are really anxious for them to become good players. And for that reason alone, I think they're both pretty decent investments heading into the coming year. You know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on this team, and any signs of improvement for those two guys or star potential, I'm guessing that their markets are going to react rather strongly. I think there are some interesting options for Barrett in this year's Mosaic set. Uh, since it is a popular set as it's you know a first year as you know as a standalone product and it being his rookie year i like a few different directions in that set for him his mosaic blue numbered to 99 could be a nice investment option if he shows improvement the most recent sale was last week on a best offer of 220 dollars so right now after a pretty disappointing rookie season if you think he's going to see big improvement you could look into mosaic for some more budget options with some pretty good upside as for Robinson, since he is a center, and I think the market has generally capped centers upside, uh, I, I still like him a lot if he plays, and being in New York certainly doesn't help. But all that being said, I think you probably need to stick to the more mainstream investor cards for him. Uh, but even those are pretty cheap at the moment. His raw Prism Silver Rookie most recently went on auction for $34, not breaking the bank at all. One thing to keep in mind is that the Knicks could very easily have nearly $50 million in cap space this offseason. And if you've been paying attention to the Knicks, they're probably going to want to spend it. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see them go after a guy like Fred Van Fleet to try and solidify that point guard spot. You know, but Thibodeau is definitely in win-now mode. I think they're going to try to make his first season as successful as they can in the win columns. Uh, you know, depending on who they bring in, that could really change the dynamics surrounding the entire team. Still, the two youngins that we've talked about, they really should remain focal points for the foreseeable future. Next, let's head over to the Windy City and look at Thibodeau's old team, the Chicago Bulls. They just brought Billy Donovan on board after his five-year stint in Oklahoma City. Donovan's best successes in his career came before the NBA, back when he was at Florida coaching the Gators and turning them into a powerhouse. Uh, you contrast that to his time in Oklahoma City, where it doesn't seem like he ever really had the full respect of the vets once he came into the association. I do think a much younger and more inexperienced roster is probably a better fit for Billy Donovan. And for that reason, this Bulls team is maybe a pretty good fit for him. He obviously had success when he was in Oklahoma City. He has a career winning percentage of 608, but he also was on a team that was never devoid of any upper end star talent. I think it's a fair question to ask how much of the winning was due to him and how much was due to the team that he had inherited. For instance, his teams have traditionally relied on isolation heavy schemes, 
for three straight seasons. His teams were dead last in passes per game, which just goes to indicate that there just wasn't a whole ton of offensive game planning involved. Uh, you know, just kind of let the players cook sort of thing. So I'm wary of calling him a good coach or a great hire for the Bulls simply because for a guy that's been in the league this long already, we still don't even really know what he's capable of. Uh, there is reason for optimism based on the way that he's handled this year's Thunder, which was really just a surprising team. And although a lot of that was due to Chris Paul's excellent play, it's also worth noting that this Thunder team was one of the youngest teams in the league, which seems like an area of strength for Billy Donovan. Also, it's worth noting that Donovan and CP3 really did seem to have a good relationship this year, so that's a positive. So a lot of people were you know, DMing me with this hire, asking me what I thought. I appreciate you reaching out, as always. But in general, I wouldn't be so quick to call it a home run. I think he has more name recognition than his actual coaching results would suggest at this point. Still, the threshold was very low for the Bulls to find improvement in a new head coach. Basically, they just needed to hire anyone that is a passable head coach in the NBA, and they'd be light years ahead of where they were the last few years under Jim Boylan. Uh, just in general, then, I think we're going to see some big improvements for the young talent all around the roster. I've dealt with this ad nauseum in past videos, so I don't want to go super in length at it. Uh, but the fit for Carter and Markin and under Boylan was just so bad. Just getting them a competent head coach really should improve their standing in the league. Of course, then there's Kobe White to consider, and, and I really like him as a player. And based on the progression that we saw from Shea Gilgis-Alexander last year under Donovan, I think it's reasonable to expect some more improvement from Kobe White as well. People will say, what about Levine? And I will say that I really expect him to be traded sooner rather than later, so I'm not going to talk about him at all today. Uh, although I like all three of those guys, I'm probably highest on Wendell Carter Jr. His PSA 10 Red Prism rookie card number to 299 went on auction the other week to, for $152, which seems like an absolute steal to me. You know, the red border on the red uniform is beautiful, and I'm sure that's, you know, that he's, it's going to go up as he gears up for his third-year leap. Look for him to stay in the lane more on defense, rack up better block, better rebound numbers, and also look for him to start shooting more threes this year, as he showed that he could do in college. Should be really good things for him, and really for those other two players as well. So if you're keeping score in general, as you know, looking at all these coaches, I don't like any of these hires a whole ton. I just think that if you're looking at the history of the league, most good coaches aren't hired as retreads after they flamed out with their last teams. You know, it happens, but a lot of the best coaches around the league right now were unknowns coming into their current positions. These type of big name second or third or fourth stop coaches just don't often work out the way that we predict in the offseason. So I think there's optimism for a lot of the young players that we've talked about, but overall team effectiveness for a lot of these hires might still be lacking. But who knows? You know, even coaches are able to adapt and develop and improve just like players are. And so these are four different franchises that are just going to be under the microscope next season. It's sure to be interesting to watch. All right, that's all the time I have for today. Please, if you are interested, be sure to navigate to slapstocks.com. Check out that gold limited edition t-shirt, only $20 plus tax and shipping. We really appreciate you guys taking out the time to watch our videos, uh, to listen to our podcast, to follow us on Instagram, everything else. If you are able to drop $20 and splurge on a t-shirt, we'd really appreciate that too. Uh, but again, so that's all the time I have for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.